What's up, sinners and choosers? Welcome to Chooser and Religion. My name is Joe. Thank you for tuning in. The sound you are hearing is the sound of my new lover. Ladies, step aside. I've got a frame drum, and uh, percussion is all I need in my life now. I really love this conversation with my new friend, Casey McGonigal, uh, somebody I met recently and really hit it off with, and uh, he's an artist involved in a really cool project called VVVR, which stands for Visual Voice Virtual Reality. And it's a really fascinating little demo, and it's, uh, it's, it's like a duo, like you and a friend, or maybe it's not even a friend, maybe just somebody else you don't even know. So you sit across from each other, you put on a virtual reality headset, and then when you start making a sound with your voice, you end up giving this visual uh, representation of this geometry that, that comes out of your little avatar in front of you, and then you can see your partner's uh, voice coming out in front of them, and, and it's so hard to describe, but it's, but it's, uh, it's really a fascinating way to to play with your voice in a really beautiful way too. There's a video up on the links page to see exactly how it looks, how it operates. And Casey was kind enough to let me come over and demo this, but obviously a lot of you guys are not gonna have this direct experience yet. But Casey is a man of depth and I loved talking not only about, you know, our own, uh, the therapy of working with your voice in general. He has a Buddhist background and I've got my own Christian stuff I grew up with and we talk about Christ consciousness and how maybe it's similar to, to Buddha consciousness and um, different meditation styles. I don't like getting into a lot of the details normally. I just want to let you know that just because uh, you can't have the, the exact direct experience doesn't mean you shouldn't listen. I love Casey. If you want to check out more about the project, you can find the link that I have to plus4.io slash VVVR. Just, just Google VVVR and uh, like the three V's in an R. And you'll find it there. And I hope you like this episode. Uh, we've got a live Choose Your Own Religion coming up. Again, not a podcast, but a comedy show with, with all killer comedians doing material or stories about about religion, their experiences with it, spirituality, etc. And we've got songs and we've got fun bits. It's at the Clubhouse at 1607 North Vermont Avenue. It's in Los Feliz. Hope to see you there. Uh, there's more info on the next one on my Facebook page there will be it's the next one's may 6th first sunday of every month hope to see you there uh but anyway for more all episodes go to chooseroomreligion.com find other cool links there to keep up with the discord the discord server or what we're doing on facebook or twitter or whatever and uh find a whole treasure trove of previous conversations uh, with folks i've had and that's it for this week i love you guys and oh it looks like my uh frame drum track ran out of steam that's okay here's casey mcgonigal Allow the soothing music and uplifting affirmations to center your heart and mind in an awareness of God's love. Wake up, my dear sinners. Wake up from your deep rest. Won't you say your prayers and know that you are blessed? I love you, oh, but Jesus loves you the best, and I hope that you choose your own religion. Uh, yeah, you ready? You ready to get into it? Yeah, let's go. Uh, Casey McConnell, welcome to the, the podcast. Thank you for having me to your beautiful home. Uh, I just now even noticed that you have Be Here Now on your shelf, which I immediately feel more at home than <laughs> <laughs> I'm hanging out with more people who just happen to have a copy laying around. You got to have a copy of Be Here Now. Um, so, yeah, I wanted to uh, I wanted to talk to you about this project, VVVR. 
do you ever pronounce it like vvvvvr? <laughs> no, but uh, it it sounded good in the beginning, and now it's gotten to the point where it's like a v v v r. That's a lot of v's. You have to really like get your mouth ready to say it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but then if you, um, if anybody like listening hasn't, um, you know, you should check out the video that I'll I'll link to it where you can kind of see almost exactly what it was like. Well, you see like the the outside of it. You don't get to see from like your own what it's like as a first person. Uh, what do you call the beings that you have? There's like we refer to avatars. them as avatars. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and it was I I just had a, my first experience with uh, not only Oculus but uh, with uh, with VVVR, and um, it was it's pretty trippy uh, <laughs> to say the least. Not to use that word, but uh, which it's um. You know, as you you've kind of explaining, well, maybe maybe you should explain. Can you explain to me, like in a nutshell, what you feel like the project is, whether it's therapy or whether like kind of what you're, if you could describe it for me. Yeah, well, it started out as art, um, but it's, it's I I think it's kind of a new genre. Um, I could just describe what it is. Um, it's basically a two-person VR experience um, where your voice is transformed into geometry that comes flying out of your mouth. You go in and you see the person across from you. You, We put meditation cushions on the floor and uh, they, they're they oriented in the physical space how they are in the virtual space. So you go in and you see your partner across from you sitting on in a meditation pose. And uh, when you start making sound, you start seeing these crystalline objects flowing from their mouth um and it has a therapeutic result uh, we have we have no clinical trials <laughs> or, or anything but uh it definitely um it can be relaxing and uh, uh reducing i mean I, I had a tough morning i have all this gear to set up whenever every time i demo it and uh mm-hmm. when you came over and we sat down and got in it i could feel the the VVVR effect <laughs> coming over me <laughs> and I feel good now. That's good. <laughs> yeah. It's like, it's always unfortunate when you like, I worked at this, uh, back in my Christian days, I, I worked at this, uh, like these youth conferences on the AV side, like on, on like the tech crew side of things. And like, it's another, it's a weird experience having like you, you have this like really spiritual experience you're trying to provide people and then you have to actually do the nuts and bolts of it. Sometimes it could be like just so stressful and kind of yeah. take you away from what the actual thing is. But, um, uh, yeah, I, you know, it's, it was really from my standpoint, I mean, I was, uh, it's, is there something immediately just captivating about it because it's so immediately, um, you know, it's intuitive and it's really responsive to like, yeah, as soon as you put the headset on, you can hear like your own voice like reverberating, and like I think most people probably start laughing. If uh-huh. I had to guess, like as soon as they put it on, you hear your laughing e- echoing, and um, there's like a it it changes colors based on the pitch of your voice, right? Yeah, it um, the pitch controls the color, and the volume controls the size and the velocity of the objects. Mm-hmm. And then there's a metric called slope, which is like if you look at an audio waveform, like the visual representation of it, it kind of goes like, you can see how it goes high and low. Mm-hmm. That gets analyzed and it, uh, what does slope do? I should mention here that I, I, this project was built in a collaboration with me and another person, Ray McClure, who's my collaborator, collaborator like my partner. 
and uh, he is the technical engineer who really made this happen. Whenever this question gets asked, Ray will chime in and be like, well, this is exactly what slope does. <laughs> yeah, so the, the signal of your voice is is processed and we pull all these metrics out of it that determine what the objects look like. Right, right. And so uh, to me, my first impression, it's, um, you know, and I've exploring my voice has been something I've been doing the past uh, like couple, several months anyway. Um, I, it's something that I, I've stumbled upon uh, through some of my own uh, separate journeys of uh, and like trying to um, it's like I've gotten more in touch with like, my singing voice and like um, and more confidence in that and just more like realizing all the different tones and sounds that your voice is capable of making and it's yeah. so uh, wild to just see that firsthand represented uh, yeah, in yeah. there um, and there's something cool like about the collaborate, you know, I'm sure it's awesome to do just being there by yourself, but like, there's also something really, uh-huh. um, yeah, well, there's something really neat going on with, uh, when, with this, a simple two person collaboration even. Yeah. I think like we, we walk around the world with, with some level of self-awareness, you know, self-consciousness and I think for a lot of us, that's like what we look like, you know, and what do we sound like and how, how are we, what do we look like? Are, are we attractive? You know, and mm-hmm. uh, what we discovered with this is that so much of that is, is wrapped up in your voice and how you, how you communicate. And it's kind of like the bridge between minds. It's, mm. um, and, uh, this VVVR functions as a tool to kind of like, disconnect you from that uh burden and just be your voice just have fun with your voice and uh in a way the effect of that is like meditation you know it brings you into the moment and you're not worried about like it just relieves you of being self-conscious in a a very unique way that you didn't know you needed (laughs) yeah well it's almost like when like when i first started doing uh stand up and I, i think a lot of people get this when like you know, growing up, you would maybe hear yourself recorded on like a video, like a random like video here and there, but it wasn't super often. Or you kind of like, it sounds weird. Like the first time you hear your voice recorded and then played back to you. Uh, and for a lot of people, it's extremely unpleasant. And for me, even like when I first started doing comedy, it was like one of my least favorite things was listening back to sets of mine. Cause it was just, I was so not used to what my voice actually sounds like when it's not just coming coming out of me i mean have you had people like experience that sort of almost like a recoil effect like oh i hate the sound of my voice when they like they put it on because like it is really like all of a sudden you're hearing there's a slight little delay and it's like this is your voice (laughs) right back at you yeah we've had very few people have a negative reaction we've shown this to thousands of people usually installed at events and uh every once in a while somebody will get in there and be like this is not for me (laughs) <laughs> but like we're talking about like less than ten people. <laughs> wow, um, that's awesome. Because I I would bet more than way more than ten people if you ask them if do they like the sound of their voice when they hear it like recorded would say no. <laughs> I hate that. Right. Yeah. How many people of like that have demoed that know each other versus are complete strangers? Um, it's usually people who know each other, but we've had a lot of st- strangers. It's very common. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of times there'll be a long line and it'll be at like an art opening or something. And uh, mm-hmm. 
you know, somebody's there by themselves and, or we'll say, well, can you go with this person? Or a lot of times Ray or I will get in there with them. Mm-hmm. Um, but we prefer once two strangers go in because that effect is, um, it really demonstrates what's good about BBBR. Yeah. Like what have you seen like happen with like strangers interacting with that? Um, we've seen, uh, oddly like, um, people go in there and have an intimate experience with each other. Like kind of like Ray talks about this a lot. Like this has a lot of potential for like dating. <laughs> like, uh, you know, you're, you're in there and like, you're in there together and it has that potential. We've, there's also this story that we love to tell when we first, um, we built BBBR at an art residency at the Banff center in Canada. It's called the convergence residency. And they had this showcase at the end where, uh, um, uh, everybody in the residency would show what they had built. And ours had a big long line of people who wanted to try. And there was a little boy who had come there with his parents and he was in line by himself. And there was an older woman, maybe in her eighties, uh, and she didn't speak English very well. And I don't think she knew why she was in line, <laughs> uh, but they got paired up together and she was, the woman was, was scared. She didn't even know what VR was. And the little boy was very excited. He thought he was going to be playing a video game and uh, <laughs> neither of them got what they expected. <laughs> uh, but it was beautiful because they just, they both started babbling and making sound and like just getting into the, uh, the somatic experience of having your voice transformed into visual um, information. Yeah. And uh, that's, that, that was when we knew that we had, that what we built was more than what we had planned, you know? Wow. That's so cool. And something about that too, of like, you mentioned like the babbling, you know, something where I, I was, I mean, I was just trying it out now. Yeah. I was like singing a couple of songs here and there cause it's, I couldn't help myself. <laughs> uh, but I also, there is a. It's not that the songs were were bad by any means. I, I enjoyed hearing the words, but there's. Um, it was also, in some ways, more interesting to hear the non, you know, like non English, uh, expressed and hearing it almost more on like a, hearing your voice on a more primal level or like a more, um, pre language level, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, is that something that you've noticed versus like. I mean, do you ever have people just singing like duets in there? We've seen some craziness. <laughs> <laughs> like, we've seen people go in there and just start screaming and barking. Like, Whoa. it almost like kind of like exercises this thing out of you that you that you never really know you needed to do. Have you ever seen like a breakup in there happen? No, no, <laughs> no breakups. <laughs> no, the experience is is overwhelmingly positive. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. <laughs> we need to talk put on the rift for a second um man that's so have you found i mean are you what's your like what are some of the long-term goals you hope to like use this for i mean we talk about it as a therapy session do you see this as something where it's like you could see it as like as like a couple's therapy type thing or what do you see is that something where it's like what do you see it as? I mean, it always comes down to this. Like, um, we we would very much would like to see what the potential is, like, 
for therapy in more of like a clinical situation. Um, we think, I mean, what are, what are the possibilities for people with hearing impairment, um, autism, PTSD, uh, relationship issues? Mm-hmm. I mean, we've, we've physically seen people make progress in their relationship in there. You know? Wow. Um, but, uh, it's also art. I mean, we, we recently exhibited it at the, uh, next art curated by, by next art at the, um, young projects gallery at the Pacific design center in West Hollywood. Um, the exhibit was called vulnerability and it was all like tech installations about how technology makes us more vulnerable, vulnerable and has the, uh, potential to bring us closer together. So, and that was great. Uh, and we've, we've, we've shown it a lot in, in the art context. One of our main goals is to just be able to ship VVVR. It's, it's very compli- complicated. It requires, currently requires two machines and like specific hardware setup, software setup, but we would just like to be able to distribute it. Mm-hmm. And we're, we're ways off on that. Well, and hopefully as like, you know, uh, VR tech in general gets, you know, progresses, it'll eventually require less, either hardware will catch up to like the demands of it or yeah. um, it'll be more efficient. And so you, you come from an artist, you're the artistic background. Yeah. Ray's also you're the an art artist. guy. <laughs> Ray's also an artist. He, okay. He's yeah, yeah. like a virtual artist, mm-hmm. a creative coder. Mm-hmm. But my background is more in performance and video. I, I studied a lot of photography in college. Um, yeah. So I'm, I'm really curious about, and I'm not even sure what questions I have on this front, so bear with me as I try to explore this topic of like this, this is the perfect fusion of technology and art. Um, and that's something that in our lifetime, it certainly has only exponentially grown in so many different, I mean, so many different mediums, so many different ways from when, you know, we were growing up as mostly, I guess, with photography and video were the main ways I, you could, I can think of with the technology and art, I guess some performance art yeah. stuff could do different things too. Um, I mean, what do you, maybe this, this could be a terrible question, by the way. <laughs> so tell me if it's a terrible question or if it's like, <laughs> uh, you know, but like, what, is, what do you see as, is, what do you see as like the relationship between art and technology? Sometimes I, I feel like a lot of performance art pieces I see, I see it's a, it seems almost like they are like at odds with each other. There's almost an antagonistic relationship at times between art and technology or, or if art uses a lot of technology, it seems like it's almost like, reluctantly and it's almost like as a ironic comment on like how technology is like ruining our lives but this vvvr seems the opposite of that where it's totally synergistic and totally um yeah you know supportive of each other is that something you've ever like <laughs> thought about or struggled with or you're like no i think about it a lot i mean i've always had a relationship with technology when i make art like sitting behind a computer or working with a camera or some kind of sound mm-hmm stuff like this or synth gear and a lot of tech art you see is specifically about the technology it's like um demonstrating the technology and it's it's lacks what i look for in art which is like to just have my um perception rearranged or challenged or 
expanded. And uh, that, I think, was really what brought Ray and I together, was the desire to um, make something that was beneficial, you know, but still wasn't obeying any rules, you know. And I think that with art, you have that opportunity. In fact, I get really annoyed when art tries to obey rules. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, the furthest you can get away from, like, or... I mean, sometimes you'll see stuff and you're like, is that art? You know, <laughs> and, uh, in a bad way. Right. <laughs> but I still love it. I love it when uh, people have that question for me. Like, I don't know why this is art because it doesn't fit into anything that I've seen. Mm. Um, and I think we really, we got there with this. <laughs> but now, now we have the responsibility of finding a home for it. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, and I want, I too wanted to ask you, so when I was talking to you earlier, a couple of weeks ago, you mentioned that you have, you grew up in a Buddhist background, right? Yeah. It's kind of shifting gears a little bit. Um, and you, at, at one point you mentioned you were some, some kind of like Buddhist, almost like the equivalent of like a Buddhist youth pastor. Yeah. I was, I had the responsibility of, um, you know, making sure that people were taken care of and. Uh, were able to find help in their Buddhist practice if they needed it. Mm-hmm. Is that yeah. something that you're still involved with now, or no? I kind of had a had an awakening um, maybe about four years ago where I didn't want to be um, I didn't I didn't want to practice one thing. You know, mm-hmm. I I just saw the expansiveness of uh, possibilities spiritually and. Uh, it became difficult for me to uh to be confined into one in one idea yeah you're you're talking to the right guy right now <laughs> uh all right so what do you this was some of my and i i went through i would say when i first left christianity um buddhism was the first thing that i got into as far as the eastern religions yeah. go i think it's pretty accessible to people who are atheists because it's sort of advertised itself as not a religion in a lot of ways or it's like it's a philosophy um uh-huh. and it doesn't require you to believe in god which is you know pretty appealing if you're an atheist uh but uh i i think there's a certain um and while it's it was definitely immediately comforting and um stilling of a really disruptive mindset you know through just learning some basic mindfulness and meditation practices um but after a certain point i felt and maybe this is what it's i'm not necessarily disagree like discounting this as a as an invalid spiritual path but this is what why didn't resonate with me as like feeling like you were saying to be the only one i wanted to pursue is that there's a certain like quietism involved with it or just seems like it's almost anti it almost seems like anti-energy in a way, like for me, like my personal energy. It almost seems like I'm con- – it almost increases my self – like I, uh-huh. there's a hard line or there's a weird line for me sometimes between mindfulness and being self-conscious uh-huh. that I can fall into that trap. Do you ever have that experience? Well, the way I see it is like uh, – I mean, first of all, there's a lot of different kinds of Buddhism. Right. It'll right. basically be anything you want it to be. <laughs> Like I grew up, the Buddhism I practiced was a Mahayana, Japanese Mahayana sect um, that, called the Soka Gakkai. And uh, when I stopped practicing with them, I was trying to like be like, oh, whoa, what do I do now? And I started getting into meditation. 
like a classic Theravada meditation, uh, Vipassana. And uh, I mean, they they basically, I mean, the, the, the Buddhism that I grew up with was like a Mahayana, uh, like a mantra meditation. Mm-hmm. Where it's and like it, more about like repeating the same mantras over and over. Repeat versus... the same mantra out loud in a group. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's a lot of focus on manifesting, you know, like uh, kind of like accomplishing goals. Mm. Um, it's very different. Than like other affirmations <laughs> almost or just like you know like what what are you struggling with um i i don't like my job so we're going to use this practice to um change that okay you know or like i my relationship and it's really based on like fixing a problem or like transfer transformation through focusing on what needs to be addressed mm. and it's it's good it's useful um i learned a lot from that about about manifesting um but then with uh the 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 vipassana i really learned how to meditate how to still my mind like how to be in the moment Mm -hmm. um how to be aware of my body and like listen to myself uh and it's super useful um when i first i did a a 10-day silent meditation retreat and when it really occurred to me what was happening i was like this is amazing this is this is my new path <laughs> um but then i i started just checking other stuff out um and i feel like i don't want to say everything has something to offer there's a lot of spiritual practices that i don't really necessarily want to take anything from but i think what i've discovered is that uh rather than like seeing everything as like a binary, like this is good or bad, or this is my path, this is not my path, um, to just have an open heart and an open mind and like to see what what really works for me about something. Uh, it's it's really one of my favorite things to do, to try something new. Like I've done kundalini yoga, um, a lot of different types of meditation, and mm-hmm. I love Hinduism, mm-hmm. I, I love Christianity. <laughs> I I know that's controversial, but there's a lot of really amazing stuff going on there. And when did you? Because you, this is something we mentioned, we talked about earlier. Um, that you, you know, I and a lot of people, especially in America, uh, grew up with Christianity. Um, don't have, and I don't, I don't even, I don't have a bad relationship now. But a lot of people have a bad relationship with uh-huh. it, or just, and it totally under makes sense. And there's so much. Um, and I, you know, I will say there, there's still some residual, um, issues or there's some, there's some really weird, like, you know, it's people talk about a Catholic guilt, but I think sometimes it, yeah. growing up in Christianity, you can, when you're confessing, you're always in a sort of like confessing your sins mindset. I feel sometimes I feel like that's, I still like, I'm constantly looking for sins of mine to confess, uh, which maybe in some ways is make, makes me probably, uh, the nicer person, but it also sometimes makes me paralyzed to like do anything wrong. But, um, when did you, you don't have much of that with, at least with Christianity. So when did you start getting into Christianity? I don't know. I'm, and I'm not really specifically into it, mm-hmm. but the thing that I like about it is, uh, like I'm okay with embodying, um, an experience with an archetype that doesn't really bother me. Um, and to me, 
Christ is like a representation of unconditional love. Um, and uh, just, you know, like no matter what, like you're not, it's almost like, uh, or maybe it really is, like you're not going to sacrifice your ability to love based on somebody else's behavior or sin. Um, and that's an ideal that is extremely difficult to <laughs> to achieve. And I'm certainly not there, but I've had glimpses of it. And uh, I think that for me, that's what Christ is. It's that it's the archetype of 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 loving no matter what and the freedom that that entails. Yeah. Or as like some people have referred to it as Christ consciousness. Yeah, that's what I call it. Yeah. This is new to me. Maybe like in the past year or so, I started oh, cool. looking into it. You know, cool. Um, and you know, it's interesting because a lot I have, and a lot of people have that experience. Even though I just talked a little bit of shit about Buddhism, I have that, <laughs> that experience in Buddhism and uh, Hinduism and other Eastern religions where I didn't because I didn't grow up with those. I think a lot of times when you the, any any religion you don't grow up with and you don't have baggage with, it can feel a lot fresher and a lot more fun yeah. to access <laughs> and get into than whatever you grew up with that because i'm sure like i'm sure buddhism has its own weird hang-ups for you from uh-huh. just childhood just associated with normal stuff that wasn't going to happen in your childhood anyway that it just happened to have a buddhist sort of like yeah layer on top of it yeah i think what i've witnessed is that a lot of people have had trauma associated with their religion and in our culture that tends to be christianity um and i think it's been co-opted by a lot of really bizarre kind of like interests. But uh, what I see is people will have a traumatic experience with the religion they're raised with. And then they muster this incredible amount of courage to get out of that religion. They risk being rejected by their family and their peers. And, um, and a lot of times what that takes is a rejection of all spirituality. Mm-hmm. Um and that is really like, to me, the, the real tragedy of it. But some some of uh, the most inspiring people in my life are um, kind of like materialists and atheists. And I think that there's a lot of beauty in that too. And I don't reject it. I think it's just a way of being a human. Mm. And uh, we need them too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And um, something too I was going to say with like, you know... I don't know if you're, you know this, but like, I, I, it's just something I've forgotten about. And I was reminded when on, on a different podcast about how there's, you know, there's four gospels, four primary gospels in the Bible. And, um, when I was, and I learned this when I was an undergrad and like took a new Testament class, which was, you know, one of the roads to my atheism, <laughs> but, uh, you know, I like studying the Bible academically, but I also I learned a lot of interesting things now, which is like that, um, each of the different gospels had a different point of view and sort of almost a different argument for who Jesus was, or they wanted to highlight different aspects of, of Jesus. And so there was one, and I can't remember which gospel lines up with which, but um, you know, one gospel portrays Jesus primarily as like a human, like this is like God connecting with us on a human level. And like, he, like he's suffering with us type level. Uh-huh. Then there's another that represents Jesus as like divine. Like this is God, like this is God on earth. You know, this is the son of God. This is like this really holy being. Then there's another that uh, represents him as like uh, 
as like an ap- a apocalyptic figure, which is the world's ending soon. Like, and he's going to be helping. He's part of like the harbinger of like this new world order uh-huh. that they thought was coming in their lifetime. Um, and then they, once they realize, and that's part of the the urgency to write the books is realizing like, oh shit, Jesus, Jesus died 30 years ago and we're all about to die and he's still not back. So we better get some of this down on paper. But um, <laughs> what I was thinking of was how it's almost more useful, I think, to have this Christ. I love the Christ consciousness metaphor and this sort of Christ energy and this sort of archetypal um, view of Christ versus like, nitpicking like did this miracle happen did this like did this really is this historical thing really like did everything happen exactly as it was did they really remember the exact dialogue jesus said 35 years later when they first started writing the books because they probably didn't remember word for word exactly what he said but as you were saying like as this un- this figure of unconditional love and i imagine that there's some to me that's almost when i look at my own view of like the buddha I don't really know much of the Buddhist like texts and stories that I didn't study them growing up. I didn't like, like I've read a lot of the stories here and there and like I get, I've gotten glimpses, but my view of Buddha is a sort of like, like as a, as a, as a Buddha figure, like, because even the word Buddha is almost similar to the word Christ, you know, Christ and like Messiah, you know, meaning like anointed one, uh, and like Buddha meaning the awakened one. Right. And, yeah. Uh, so does that make sense? Like I see, I think I have a more accessible view of Buddha as like this archetypical, like, oh yeah, it's the Buddha. He's the peaceful guy, you know. Uh-huh. He's the bliss guy. Whereas some people are like, oh yeah, the, you mean the guy that like left his wife and kids or whatever behind, right? You know. <laughs> How, what's your relationship with Buddha? Is it similar to like Christ consciousness? I think it is. Uh, I mean, there's the historical figures, Siddhartha, Gautama. Um, but you'll hear a lot of different Buddhist sects talk about um, the the Buddha nature, mm-hmm. which I think is probably si- similar to Christ consciousness. Um, I haven't given this a lot of thought recently, so I might be a little bit rusty on my historical data. Oh, you're you're talking to the right person. I'm <laughs> the the last uh, you know, for better or worse, I'm the last guy is going to be fact checking anything. <laughs> But uh, yeah, I think Buddha nature is um, is like is like Christ consciousness in the sense that this kind of like awakened um, ability to um, not give in to suffering, um, to like uh, be aware of suffering and 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 kind of be above it. Um, you can't you can't eliminate suffering, but mm-hmm. you can not be controlled by it. And I think that having unconditional love and uh, understanding for people is part, part of that Mm. awakening. Well, and you know, this is not a connection I've made before, but like, I think the Buddhist and correct me if I'm wrong, but like the Buddhist kind of relationship with suffering is accepting the suffering and like not fighting when you're like going through a painful thing. You just accept like being aware of it, noticing it. Uh Um, it's it's almost like the resisting can often amplify whatever suffering is happening um in the same way that like when you're cold like resisting like if you start resisting the cold versus like accepting that you're feeling cold it actually makes you kind of less cold in a weird way um or like if you're accepting the hot or just accepting whatever your environment is i mean we can versus like oh man i constantly like being in the caught in the thought loop like i wish i had a jacket i wish i had a jacket now that's easier said than done with something like cold but like 
Uh, it's even a weird way, in a weird way, that's almost what happens in Jesus's story with his own suffering is he accepts his own suffering. He doesn't fight it. He just says like, this is what's meant to happen. This is, yeah. you know, this is just kind of the way things are planning out. There's one moment where he uh, talks to God and he kind of asks like, why me? Why are you doing this? Why does it have to be this way? Yeah. But that's almost becomes his like teaching, his teaching moment. That's like his private moment. And God, you know, the implication is kind of like, well, this this is kind of the way of the world, you know. Uh-huh. Is that how you understand like your relationship with with suffering when things like happen to you versus like acceptance versus resistance? Yeah, um, I'm definitely not a, not a pro at it, <laughs> but um, I think yeah, the pasana meditation really taught me a lot about that. Like like when you're when you're suffering, to view it as a sensation. Mm. and kind of like um like i did a lot i used to spend not not that long ago used used to sounds like the wrong word but um (laughs) up until very recently i was (laughs) sitting in traffic for up to three hours a day um commuting and uh i did a lot of like suffering in the car (laughs) yeah and like really trying to um every time I would begin to suffer, I would, I would start by like feeling the the seat underneath me and then like Mm. feeling where my fingers touch the steering wheel and like the pressure of my fingers on the steering wheel. And, um, and then I'd look outside and like be reminded of like the wind blowing through the trees around me or like the other people sitting in the cars and like, having compassion for, for them uh. or just kind of like empathy or like the shared experience of being stuck in traffic together. Yeah. Um, it wasn't like a, a tool that I could just always turn on and then have my suffering vanish. But, uh, it definitely got me through some dark times. <laughs> um, that's cool. I, you know, I've, I've done some like when sometimes when I've like, been meditating more regularly and I couldn't get like a meditation practice just sitting at home. I would just do a silent car drive and kind of notice that same thing and try to just be notice the sensations. And in a weird way, kind of going back to like the mantras thing, I've been singing a lot more in the car, like singing like, yeah, you know, like old Christian songs or different, uh, you know, uh, prayer songs. And, uh, it's almost like a, that's almost like the mantra style in a way of, uh, of meditation in a sense. Cause it's songs that I've heard a million times or sang a million times. It's not like I'm like, so it has a soothing effect in that yeah that sort of way. It's kind of like a good kind of bridge back to VVVR. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when I when I was in grad school, I I initially began my studies in photography, and then I kind of had this meltdown where like I was in the middle of my my grad my second year of grad school or my first year of grad school. And I was like, I don't want to do this anymore. (laughs) And I started doing these really crazy performance videos and like discovering this part of myself that it, I knew was there, but like it never really came out like that. Hmm. And, uh, I started getting into glossolalia. What was that? That's like in, in Christianity, they call it speaking in tongues. Oh, wow. Where you're like, um, (laughs) 
you know, like just that's pretty good speaking in tongues. <laughs> and I, I began composing music by layering glossolalia and uh, wow, trying all this stuff. And then I, I started listening to Terrence McKenna, um, who's kind of like a psychedelic evangelist, mm-hmm. and he talks a lot about psychedelic. Uh, sorry, not psychedelia. Well, he talks a lot about psychedelia, <laughs> but uh, glossolalia. Really? And uh, he talked a lot about um, like shamans in the Amazon. How they would, uh, like, when they're when they're in their ceremonial space and they're singing, um, it's it's for the purpose of healing, and it's not the, for the purpose of making music. It's it's like. And in these situations where they're drinking different kinds of medicine and stuff, like the voice is actually something that can be visualized. Um, so when I was making that weird kind of like stuff, I, I was talking to, to Ray who was building these kind of, um, they were there at the time they're called Chrome experiments where the Chrome browser would like, uh, kind of, um, sponsor you to, make something that showed the power of the Chrome browser. And he did this one where you would say something and then it would go into this like three D three dimensional room as a tile. And you could grab the tile with the mouse and kind of flick it around. And when hit, when it would hit the wall, it would make the sound that you made. And that really reminded me of this shamanic thing of, of being able to have, have, have the voice, be something more than language or even sound. Um, and that's what led to making VVVR. And there was this quote from Terrence McKenna that I wanted to read. This is kind of a tangent. No, it's great. I love it. <laughs> but I'm when fascinated. You, when you were talking about mantra, it reminded me of it. Um, I had this, this, this idea going through my head when I saw Ray's thing and I was like, this is perfect. Um, so Terrence says, Ordinarily, telepathy is imagined to you. I mean, sorry, I'll start over. Ordinarily, telepathy is imagined to be you hearing me think, then me hearing you think. But a richer notion of telepathy would be if you could see my words rather than hear them, if they were actually sculptural objects. I would make an utterance, then you and I would stand and regard this utterance from all angles. There would be no ambiguity, and this is exactly what is going on with the octopi. Shamans do the same thing. The shamanistic songs that are sung are not intended to be heard. They are intended to be seen by other people who are intoxicated. This crossing from the heard to the seen is a very important part of the revelation of the transcendental object. When we are going to go, I'm sorry, we are going to go from a linguistic mode that is heard to a linguistic mode that is beheld. When this transition is complete, the ambiguity the uncertainty and the subterfuge that haunt our efforts at communication will be obsolete. And it will be in this environment of beheld communication that the new world of the logos will be realized. Wow. What a powerful quote. What book is that from? This is from the archaic revival. Wow. That's so cool. And that's so perfect with uh, VVVR. Um, You know, and something I've been, uh, thinking about and working with is um is like ancestral work and like mm-hmm. thinking about like not just my own bloodline or my own genetic line but like 
our collective human ancestors that were around pre-civilization pre like yeah um i guess hunter gatherers or you know pre-language you know and thinking about what kind what life was like and thinking about what did they do to heal each other you know before language and how sometimes yeah it's just fascinating to think about like what what those possibilities <laughs> were done with like what was how much communication really is done sublingually uh, and like um and now with this vvvr it's almost like it's i don't know if it's sublingually it's extralingually it's uh it's, it's that's so cool that the, the quote kind of nailed it <laughs> it hits on that thing that mantra does um it's almost like isolating something that's difficult to describe. Like when you, when you recite a mantra, you feel it vibrate in your head and you, you feel the sound and the words stop meaning whatever you think they mean. And they just, a really good mantra will kind of like just take over. And with VVVR, we separate language from the voice and it, induces the mantra state in in its own way yeah that's so yeah i mean it's it's it, it's like the same effect of when you say even an english word over and over you start it's that that weird cool feeling of like oh this word was just made up like this doesn't i real like you realize that there's not an inherent value to it um and it's sort of it, it does throw your brain for a bit of a loop it <laughs> takes you out of that world of thought um Laurie Anderson says uh, that language is a virus from outer space. <laughs> <laughs> it definitely feels like it sometimes. Uh, and it's like, you know, to, to go use that old, uh, I think it was an Einstein quote, although anytime I hear it's an Einstein quote, I realize it could also be an Abraham Lincoln quote or like a Mark Twain quote, you know, but there's a million out there that could be anybody. But, uh, <laughs> it, it, you know, it's, uh, I think he said, Again, I think he said, maybe somebody else, but uh, you can't think your way out of a thinking problem or you can't think your way out of the same, you can't use, get out of a problem with the same thinking that got you into it. You know, that's a, it's a good cliche that we all know and love, but that's the same th- thing with like language. Sometimes language is like the thing that caused, like we've talked, we've talked about this before off mic, but like depression and anxiety and oftentimes they, it's getting caught in thought patterns and yeah. getting caught in thought loops that are caused primarily by language. And Sometimes talk therapy just doesn't cut it for me because of that. It's just talking and talking and talking and just more layering, more thought. Some, at its best, it disrupts the thought loop and it makes it yeah. uses thought to sort of other break up other thought. But then sometimes you get caught in a new thought, you know? Yeah, I definitely experienced that. <laughs> but um, <laughs> so I, I really think there's a lot of uh, so much cool potential with this. I, I think we're about about out of time uh, where do you know do you have any upcoming places you know where this will be demoed or where if not where can people kind of keep up with this project well we're about to go demo it at the university of la rochelle in france awesome in two weeks we're going to be out there um for for an event they're doing um after that we don't have anything planned we do have some information up on our website which is vvvr.io VVVR, by the way, stands for Visual Voice Virtual Reality. <laughs> Not virtual, uh, virtual, virtual reality. <laughs> no, it's virtual, virtual, virtual. <laughs> uh, and, uh, yeah, we have a lot of uh, um, 
encouraging things happening on the tech side of this that would le- could lead to it being released. Um, so definitely keep an eye out for it. Um, that's that's our plan. <laughs> that's awesome, man. Well, uh, dude, thank you so much for inviting me over and have to share this experience and to have this conversation, man. I really loved it. Yeah, thank you very much, Joe. Namaste. Namaste. <laughs> And that's the show. Thank you once again to Casey McGonigal. Check out VVVR. Explore your own relationship with yourself and the higher being that is actually an inner being that loves you deeper than you even knew you could love yourself. And if you can't feel that, feel that I love you. And until next time, Jamaste. Campfire. <laughs>